The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're going to be talking to a very, very interesting man. Today's show is called Risky Business. What is it like to be the number one Trump impersonator in the world today? Well, that's what we're going to be finding out from the number one Trump impersonator in the world today. His name is John D. Domenico. And, um, God, there is so much. Uh, I, I actually came across John, um, his, his story and uh, his story about his impersonation, his, his own story um, on the Internet. I don't even have, you know, it's always, one, always interesting how you come upon things that actually you're meant to find, you know. Um, this is a story in The Guardian, a fabulous uh, article. And it just made me wonder... Especially, not only what is it like to be an impersonator altogether, especially one who works constantly like John, but what is it like with the changing, all of the conflicting uh, attitudes, some of them very dangerous, uh, towards now that he's President Trump, towards President Trump, and what it's like to continue to impersonate him. Uh, you could get killed, or you could get women throwing themselves at you, or you could get both. And um, I don't know about the killing, but I know you've had women throwing throwing themselves about oh, you. I've had just about everything at this point. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to talk well, first, all about that. Thank you for having that. me on your show, so I'm very excited to be on. Well, good. Um, but before we get into being Trump, Mm-hmm. I want to uh, talk about being John D. Domenico. And Even how, better. I mean, yeah, that's the one thing I'm an expert on. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, how, like, you know, people grow up uh, wanting to be a teacher or a doctor or a lawyer or whatever. You, you don't really ask too many kids in grade school, what do you want to be? And they say, I want to be an impersonator. So let's start right. back in the day and um, talk about your growing up and what that was like and how you ultimately... Uh, went into this, and this was before Trump, went into this line of work of being an impersonator. Well, I grew up in Ambler, Pennsylvania. It's right outside of Philadelphia. And Ambler had this one section, uh, which was all row homes. So it was essentially, it's, it's as if someone drug a, a neighbor, a South Philly neighborhood outside of Philadelphia. That's where mm-hmm. I grew up and I was raised. And it was a kind of a tight knit area. But everybody in the summer would sit outside on their steps and talk. And this is the, you know, late sixties. And I was just a precocious kid and I would watch Ed Sullivan and I had like this, gift for mimicry and impersonating and impressions and I 
I, I was a ham, but also I had a speech impediment. So when I spoke, it was very hard for me to be understood. But when I did the voices of, you know, all the celebrities of the day, uh, I could be understood. And I was getting affirmation for it because people were laughing and saying, isn't he funny? And it just kind of built from there. And because of that, I wanted to be an actor and a performer and a comedian. And that's all I ever really focused on my, my entire life. So, uh, and now I'm here and many years later and I make my living as a comedian and, and an actor and a writer and an impressionist yes, and an impersonator. I did, yes, let me, uh, let me sort of go, roll it back a little bit and uh, mention some of these other things too. It's not just about Trump. John has been, he's an, an Emmy-nominated actor. He's a writer, he's a host, he's a comedian, and of course an impersonator. He has... Uh, he won, we'll have to talk about that later, he won the uh, contest at the Laugh Factory, an international competition for being Trump. Right. There were lots of Trumps, or one of The national Trump. was on The View, and the international was at the Laugh Factory. Uh-huh. Oh, oh, I huh. oh the, 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 the competition was at The View, too. Okay. Mm-hmm. There and, were two levels uh, to the competition. Uh-huh. And I won both, which was oh, fantastic. Yes, especially there were a lot of, it was a, you know, pretty good competition. Um, and, um, but, but again, we're, we're getting into Trump. Let, let's go back to, let's go <laughs> we back can't to get the, away from Trump. <laughs> yes, right. He's everywhere. Let's get, let's get back to the speech impediment because, you know, I'm a yeah. psychiatrist, so I'm interested in all the, um, you know, the, uh, oh, the, the difficulty that that gave you for your self-esteem. And, uh, and you know, it's kind of like, um, terrible. it's ki- terrible. kind of like singers who have a, a, a lisp or a stutter or something, and then when they sing opera, you know, it's perfect. Right, because you're using, you know, your brain is just so fascinating. And, you know, we're speaking in involuntary speech right now, and we really can't hear ourselves until you pay attention to yourself, because if you can hear yourself all the time, you drive yourself crazy. But when the voluntary speech, when you actually make vocal production and you produce it, you're able to strip away all those things. Um, So that's why I was able to do now right here on our show, the fabulous Garbaccio brothers, without having the impediment and all the other voices that I did as a kid, Groucho Uh Marx and Humphrey Bogart and James Cagney and and did so the same it, and, thing? And that, did the same thing happen when you um, you started out uh, going into acting? Did the same thing happen when you were acting, or just when you were impersonating? Well, no. You know, I I was lucky enough. Um, the school system, the the school I went to, was uh, was outside of Philly. It was second school district. They had a great. Um, uh, I guess I'm not sure what the term would be, special services or something. I had speech therapy for eight years from first mm-hmm. grade to eighth grade two times a week. And that was a huge help and taught me how to, taught me how to speak properly and proper vocal production. And uh, also I had like ADHD and you name it. I pretty much had everything, dyslexia. <laughs> it was, uh-huh. I had the smorgasbord of things I had to overcome. Uh-huh. Uh, so... 
so, you know, all those things are, are they're tough to have. You know, you want to be like a regular kid. I'm wearing like Coke bottle glasses because I can't uh-huh. see, I can't speak right, I have a patch over one eye. So me being funny was really, uh, was a good way not to get beaten up in a very tough neighborhood. And also it was just the way I could express myself and, and be, be, I wasn't, you know, a great athlete or anything like that. So it was my way of being me and putting uh-huh. myself out there. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, yeah. So. But as so, soon as, you know, I, I did everything. I was in every school show and every school play and every school talent, you know, talent production, whatever I could get into, summer theater. I just loved to, and I still do, I love to perform. There's there's something about it. If I don't get in front of an audience, you know, every few days my hands start to shake. <laughs> Withdrawal, right. Yes. <laughs> So tell me about your parents and then how they, how they felt about all this or how they influenced you one way or the other. Um, you know, my father had a ninth grade education. He was a steel worker. He was 40 when I was born. He was a World War II veteran. He was born in 23. Um, so he was, you know, uh, he, he was a hardworking man. Uh, he didn't really get me you know, to have this very kind of high-energy, high-strung kid who wanted mm-hmm. to perform. That wasn't his thing. Mm-hmm. So he was much more attuned to my brother Stephen, who was more of an athlete. So, uh, so, but my mom was a great audience. She laughed at everything, and, <laughs> you know, I could bring a joke to her or an impression to her or whatever, whatever it was, and she was my first audience, and she was always... Always there for that. Uh huh. Um, are your parents still alive? Uh, my father passed away in February of '90. He passed away right in the middle of a year-long run of a show I was doing. So he did get to see me as a working professional actor making a living, which was very important to me because he really scared him that I wanted to be an actor. He didn't. He didn't know how to help me. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't mm-hmm. know anybody. There were no connections. So he was, you know, he was concerned for me that I would uh, end up starving. So, so, yeah. so he said, you know, the only thing I ask is that you get a, you get an education. So I ended up getting a, a, a bachelor, a BA in um, speech communications. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. um, so, I, but your mother is still alive. My mom's still alive. Yeah, spoke with her yesterday. So- <laughs> so we'll ha- we'll have to get into what she thinks about you doing Trump, but but wait, but first we're still on you. Um, so uh, I, I because I was reading about how you know your father having this sort of steady job, but not a terribly exciting one, um, and you know your, your neighborhood and so on kind of spurred you on to wanting to be really successful, as well as oh, wanting yeah, to yeah. follow well, you your you know, passion. Yeah. A blue, you know, you want to get out of a blue-collar town. No matter where you're from, you want to get out of it and you want to be successful. My world was really tiny. Um, we never went on, we went to vacation, you know, the only place we went was like the Jersey Shore and we couldn't even afford to, to go to the actual Jersey Shore. We had to stay inland at a motel and it was tough. It was really, it was, it was a very mm-hmm. tough existence growing up and I used to dream of the day that I could go to a supermarket and not have to worry about like how much everything cost. Mm-hmm. You know, 
it was mm-hmm. just like, I want to buy what I want to buy at some point in my mm-hmm. life. So, mm-hmm. but there were two things at play. I saw my dad was, you know, he was unhappy. I never wanted to be a, a factory worker. I never wanted to be a cubicle person. I've always wanted to be a performer. And I know, I knew early on, I knew kind of on a cellular level as an actor it's 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 not a job it is a it is a career and it is a lifestyle choice it affects where you live and how you live and where you have to be and it's 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 i, I just knew that and i just knew that for me it was worth the risk and mm-hmm. uh it's always it's always been worth the risk it's always paid off it's always very interesting i still have a very short attention span so it's great to do a week long project and to get on the next project and get on the next project and be writing five different projects at the same time that's really stimulating and exciting to me a lot of people when I tell them what I'm working on and what I'm doing they're like god that's so stressful but for me that's what I like and that helps me kind of meet my potential Mm-hmm. well alright I guess we can kind of go into uh, I, well I do want to say one thing and then we can kind of go into Trump. Because I was, I was, one of the things I was thinking about was like how you were similar to Trump or different from Trump. And, you know, one thing that's very striking is that you have, um, and I know, I would want to say this up front, first of all, um, I know you have sort of a neutral uh, uh, stance towards Trump in the sense that you could be equally, um, make people in the, or of the left or the right equally happy with your performances. So we're not going to get into, uh, you know, politics. We're just going to be talking well, about Trump, yeah, right? There, there's, a, there's, a reason, there's a reason for that. The, the reason is, as an actor, one of the things you're really you're taught when you start training as an actor is you have to love the character you're playing. If you don't, there's this kind of internal disconnect. Mm-hmm. And I'm, you know... The term impersonator is used, but I'm an actor playing a character, and that character mm-hmm. happens to be Donald Trump. When you're doing 35 minutes as this person, when you're doing an hour of meet and greet, and or, or doing an hour uh, an interview on you know British TV or Australian TV or all these different things, and you're in character, I have to live inside of his head. Mm-hmm. So I have to be able to like him. So for me, I can't get into the the thing that he's. <laughs> there were parts of the, prior to him becoming president, those things are okay. His political policy, things like that, I, I don't want to involve myself. Me personally, I, I, I can't get stuck in that, uh, mm-hmm. making opinions on that to myself. Yes, I understand. Okay, well, I was just going to say that one thing that I think is the same um, and makes it easier in some ways to be him is that you, you know, again, starting from where you started and, you know, that we've touched on, um, you seem to have the same ambition for success, the same drive as he has, um, and the same chutzpah that he has. <laughs> yeah, I guess, that's, I guess that's true. And I had, a, I had heard about him, I don't know if this was in the Guardian article, but in the early 80s I was hearing about Donald Trump, and I was just... One or the other, along with being an actor, I've always been fascinated by business, by American businessmen, by J. Paul Getty and Carnegie and Astor and all of these amazing people. And there was a period of time in America when these guys were, were giants. And, you know, by the late, late 70s, early 80s, they had faded away. I mean, I think. J. 
John Nelson Rockefeller was still alive, but he really was he hadn't done a lot of that stuff. But there was there wasn't anybody to who was a businessman who a successful businessman who was kind of a giant, but on the horizon was this man, Donald Trump. And he, I was hearing about him in Philadelphia because I was always attuned to what was happening in New York because I wanted to be there as a kid. And he, he caught, you know, he's a, one of the amazing things about Donald Trump is he's always in the right place at the right time. Mm -hmm. And there was this time, there was this void where there weren't any well-known business people, um, emerging and he stepped in then and he did the same thing politically where there was this void and he stepped in and he made it work and he you know obviously is the president mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay well so now we can kind of go on to uh to talking about trump um so oh and actually this is perfect timing because we're almost uh at the, we're almost going to hear the music for a break <laughs> um so this this is exactly uh the right time to get into talking about him. Um, when we come back from the break, I want to talk about you know how you um, like how, who you were doing before him. And, well, why don't you tell us that now until we hear the music, and then and then how you got into him. I mean, I know you just said how why he fascinated you, but how personally how you made that transition. I you know I've done everybody from Groucho Marx to Lieutenant Colombo to Larry King, Austin Powers, Dr. Evil, Guy Fieri, you you know anybody who was kind of a a big enough celebrity I was I was doing and I've always done I've always done full makeup, full wardrobe, wigs, the whole bit. And uh, around 2004 I got a call for a voiceover for Trump, and I wasn't doing him at the time, but I was kind of known in the New York market as somebody who could do really tough voices. So I was called, I, it was a Friday, I ran out and bought the first season of The Apprentice, which had just come out, spent that weekend breaking his voice down into elements, mm. and then reassembled them and went in on Monday, did the audition, and booked that job, and that was the, that was the beginning, and then got called for more voiceovers as Trump. Huh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, and then once and then once I had the voice down, I was I got a call from one of the bookers that I work for a lot, who was out of um, out of uh, Greenwich, Connecticut, and said, "Hey, you know, you do all these characters for wardrobe, for makeup. Are you doing Donald Trump? Because I know you're doing the voice." And I said, "Not yet." I said, "Why?" They said, "Well, there's a booking about a month from now. They want a they want an Apprentice game." Mm-hmm. And I know that you're a writer. Can you put an apprentice game together and be Donald Trump? And that was the very first job that I oh, did. Wow. In full makeup, full wardrobe. I went to Bob Kelly, who makes all the wigs for all the Broadway shows, Saturday Night Live, and he built me my first Donald Trump wig. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's great. And that was in 2004. That was 2004. Yeah, well, 2004 was the the voiceovers, and I think in, by late 2005, I was working on putting Trump together full top to uh-huh. bottom, and by uh-huh. 2006, I was working pretty regularly, and then after those first few jobs, I ended up on Fox and Friends uh, as a cross-promotion for that season of The Apprentice. Sorry, oh, wow. I was like the second person ever to appear on national television as Donald Trump, oh, other wow. than um, Phil Hartman. 
Okay, well, now we do need to take the break, but when we come back, we will be talking about this journey that you had um, from 2000. It was like you were a calling, you know? Oh, it's a perfect time. <laughs> um, the universe was calling you. First the voiceover and then the uh, full regalia. All right, we need to take a break. My guest is John D. Domenico. Uh, you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. We're talking about risky business, what it's like to be the number one Trump interpret impersonator in the world today. So stay tuned for more. Ask the experts. Call toll free right now. 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking today with John D. Domenico. He is the number one Trump impersonator in the world. Um, We've just heard about his own personal life and how he... Uh, wound up doing this. I was starting to say before the break, it seemed like the universe was calling him, literally calling him to do this. First the voiceover, <laughs> and then, uh, then the full regalia. And um, yes, I, I was mentioning off the air about how I think it would be interesting to hear how his experiences, what his experiences were early on in these years, 2006, and the, you know, b- before he ran for uh, president, and then how it's changed up through today. And, and um, John was starting to say about how, you know, if you do a character like Austin Powers, it's kind of the same from, from when you started, I guess, till, well, now, now people really don't do so much Austin Powers, but, um, but, you know, but how it's so different every day with um, President Trump. Yeah, totally, yeah, because, you know, unlike, unlike somebody like Austin Powers, baby, you know, everyone <laughs> loves Austin Powers. But with, with, with Trump in these last, you know, early on when I was doing it, it was, pre, it was primarily uh, apprentice team building events and um, corporate ride design, cor- a corporate roast where at the end of a national sales meeting, Trump would come out and pick seven top executives and roast them uh-huh. and then usually fire them <laughs> and then bring up the CEO. And we would do a bit where the CEO would, uh, I would try to buy the company and then the CEO would fire me. 
and uh, I would also do a lot of award shows and things like that. And there was always this, you know, oh, you know, was especially around the time of The Apprentice, because that's really how he became much more known throughout the entire United States. People mm-hmm. say, fire me. Hey, Mr. Trump, fire me. Mm. You know, and I would always be, you know, blue team, green team, you both worked very, very hard. But unfortunately, blue team, you're fired. So, and, and, and Trump was much, there was much less personality back then. It was just what you were seeing on the show. So uh, the range of what I was doing was, was somewhat limited. Of course, the insults were always there, but uh, not this last election cycle, which he was in, the one before that, when he was toying with running, I was getting a lot of attention then, and then he dropped out to do another season of The Apprentice, and then this last time when he announced on June 15th, the day after his birthday, that's when things really started taking off. It was a slow process in the beginning, um, because I was afraid he was going to drop out again. Uh-huh. And he, he, you know, he announced, and uh, people were saying, "Oh, you're set. You're going to be. This is going to be incredible. The next, you know, the next year is going to be amazing." And I said, "Well, hold on. Let's wait and see what happens over the summer." And then he made the John McCain comments about a year, about a month in, and I thought, "Well, that was a good month run. I <laughs> thought it was over." Uh-huh. I just thought it was over, and then his kind of his numbers went up, and I thought, "Oh, wait a minute, that's counterintuitive." His numbers went uh-huh. up. That's that's amazing. And he, the more the more brash he was being, and the more counter counter he was, and his numbers kept going up and up. And I thought to myself, you know, if he makes it to the first debate, I am set for the fall. I'm mm-hmm. set. Mm-hmm. And not only did he make it to the first debate, he crushed the first debate. So by August of 2015, uh, Fox News had reached out to me, and uh, Tom Shalhoub, who I used to be an actor with in, in New York in the early 90s, he had a show called Red Eye. He made me the regular Trump, and then Fox and Friends in the Morning started using me, and then right around the same time, Conan O'Brien picked me up, and I started doing a bunch of stuff with him, and then the corporate work started really coming in regularly, and it was, it was an amazing, it was an amazing run-up to the election, and what I was seeing being Trump was, um, was incredible, and I was also, had become the voice of Donald Trump for the Trump cast on, um, uh, on Pan- Panoply, on the Panoply Network. So I would do an event, it could be anywhere from 500 to 5,000 people, and it didn't matter where I went in the U.S., it was always overwhelmingly for Trump. Hmm. And I was reading the polls like everyone else, and I was paying very close attention, and I said, I said you know what, this guy's, this guy's going to win. <laughs> this guy's going to win. And I talked to some people, that I, some reporters that I knew from major publications, and I would say, Donald Trump's going to win. And they would say, John, you're wrong. You, this is all anecdotal. And I said, it may be anecdotal, but it's consistent. And I'm mm-hmm. seeing it every time. And every time mm-hmm. I act, I would say, who, I said, you know, who here is going to vote for me and make America great again? Right? Right? It's going to be tremendous, I have to tell you. Overwhelmingly, two-thirds of the audience would applaud. And then I say, okay, who wants to ruin the country and vote for crooked Hillary Clinton? (laughs) 
And this small group of people would very unenthusiastically applaud. And I thought, wow, this is, this is fascinating. And especially when it happened in New York City, which should have been, you know, democratic country, and then it would happen in Southern California. And I thought, this, this, there's something happening here. And a year ago this month, I was in D.C. with uh, Channel 4 out of Britain. And most of my interviews at the time, over the last two years, they would always say, who, who are you going to vote for? And I thought it was a dumb question. But they were the only ones who said to me, who do you think will win? Mm. And I said, this was August of last year, and I said, Donald Trump will win in a landslide. I said, I've been crisscrossing this country now for over a year, and I've seen it. I've seen that people are upset. I've seen that people, I've had CEOs of major corporations, major corporations whisper in my ear and say, I'm voting for you. Because I'm an avatar. I'd become, by that point, I'd become an avatar for Trump. Mm-hmm. And and most of it was very very positive. Um, I didn't really feel any pushback until after the election. So I had women saying some very outrageous things to me um, after the whole, um, you know Billy Bush uh, bus thing. I mm-hmm. couldn't believe what some corporate executives, female corporate <laughs> executives, were saying to me. So um, I was like, wow, like nothing, nothing's, nothing's penetrating. <laughs> No matter what he word, does, yeah. there's no there's no negative reaction. Uh huh. That's so, so interesting. So, you know, yeah. are you keeping um are you keeping a diary? Uh, have you no, started? No, I should keep... have. I really should have because it was pretty amazing what I what I experienced. Yeah, I mean, you still. What I saw. You know, I think you still should. Um, yeah. You know, remember the things that you can from the past, and then I'm sure there's going to be more highs and lows you know, going on into the future, because I think even from a historical perspective, you know, it's like you have your finger on the pulse more than, than these poles, <laughs> these crooked well, yeah, poles. Yeah, <laughs> because I, I was on the ground, and I would meet hundreds and hundreds of people a day and take the same amount of photos and hear people whisper in my ear what they were going to say and how some people were just... Um, you know, I had I would have people lean in my ear and say, you know, my wife hates you, but no, I, I remember this distinctly. A number of people said to me uh, in different parts of the country, "No one knows I'm voting for you, but I'm voting mm-hmm. for you," or "My wife hates you, but I'm voting for you," or "My kids can't stand you, or I'm voting for you," or "My whole family." It was very interesting, um, and I do believe there was a group of people that's the pollsters, not that they missed, but those people didn't say they were voting for Trump. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, they purposely... What did you say? They purposely didn't say they were voting. Yes, yes. Um, now, I know you've said that, uh, that sometimes people would talk to you as if, like, you were going to be president, and so they were telling you what they wanted you to do for them, and, and um, uh, you know, or what you, what you would which should what you should do for the country, but like, like Santa Claus, like really believing you were real. <laughs> right. Well, like I said, I became an avatar, so people were very specific about <laughs> what they wanted, and, you know, building the wall and doing this thing or doing that thing or uh-huh. locking Hillary up or, you know, that was another thing. I was very shocked by the, the intense hatred um, against Hillary Clinton. 
in certain pockets. I was it was I wasn't prepared for it. I was kind of shocked by it. Hmm, that's interesting. I wonder if you know she's going to have a book coming out this fall. You must know about that, right? Right, right. In fact, I know a Hillary Clinton impersonator who's, <laughs> who's written a book. She's been the one who's been doing her the longest. So. Uh huh. Um, well, because I bet you you might get some calls, you know, in connection to uh, to her book coming out, like people wanting you to, you know, do a shtick on uh, on locking her up. Right, right. <laughs> um, well, now let tell us about how you actually did meet. You met, did you just meet uh, Trump once or more than once? I've I've only met him once. Um, I did his fifty fifth birthday party um, in in Atlantic City at the Castle, which would have been sixteen years ago now because he's seventy one. He was it was his fifty fifth birthday, but I was not Trump. I was uh, I was Austin Bowers again, so I uh, I jumped out of a cake and uh, gave him twenty four models, and that was the the whole bit. <laughs> that was his that was his birthday present. So, and did he um did he choose which character you were going to be, or did someone preparing um, the party? Uh, Austin Powers was really popular at the time, uh-huh. and um, his his event director, the person who put the party to, together at the castle, they had called me, and they said, we know that you're like the number one Austin Powers, and we would love to have you, and so we worked out this whole bit, and it was it was a really fun, it was a fun party, and there were a lot of local celebrity there, celebrities there, and a lot of New York celebrities, and you know, it was a, it, it was a very fun, interesting evening, and it was a, it was really neat for me to see inside the Trump universe uh, early on, like that, fifteen years ago, fifteen, sixteen years ago. And looking back on that, did, no, first of all, did you have a chance to talk with him, or oh, we talked uh, in rehear uh, in rehearsal in the in the green room when the director kind of went uh-huh. over everything. But it was I didn't we didn't like talk talk. It was like we were standing together with the director and he was explaining things. Uh huh. You know, but. Well, looking back on that now, I mean, and you never would have, did you have any clue at that time, uh, like, did you think, oh, it might be nice to play him, or, or did you have any clue that, you know, years later, you would be playing him? He wasn't, he wasn't a, he wasn't a consistent national character at the time. Uh He was a fascinating guy, but the only place he was really showing up was on Howard Stern, and 15 years ago, like me, Howard Stern wasn't like it wasn't like mainstream. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? yeah. It was, you know, and every now and then he would show up on David Letterman, but he was still a more of a New York thing. It mm. really wasn't until The Apprentice that he, you know, got that national uh, acceptance, that national re- recognition, that national branding. Uh, you know. If you're, if you're from the Northeast, you really know who he is. But if you were from Boise, Idaho, I don't think that was the, that you were. He was really on the radar fifteen mm-hmm. years ago. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. C- continue taking us through the years as far as how things have changed. So there you were um, after he got. Uh, well, you were talking about after he was when he was in the primaries, and you were realizing that he, this was going to be a longer run than you had thought, and take it from there. Well, um, so the fall of 2015 was 
was really was really solid, and a lot of work was coming in, and all different all different types of work between voiceovers and TV and um, all different projects, podcasts. But what I was doing the absolute most of was interviews. In about a year and a half period, I did three hundred interviews every. Um, the New York, uh, not New York Times, uh, NBC, that October of 2015, stayed with me for three days and traveled around the country with me. And that story, when that story was released, it was amazing because it just got me so much more work. And then Vice, they spent... um, they spent a couple of days with me, Vice Media, and then that story took me to the next level. And then there was a Washington Post story, and then there was The Hill, and um, there was just it was just amazing. It was it was like a dream to have all of these interviews to be on CBS and NBC and ABC, and it just was it never stopped. And even if and I thought about it, I was like, this is incredible. Like this is absolutely incredible. Even if I was on a, a network situation comedy, I would not be getting mm-hmm. this amount of press. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Was, and they all was, wanted it, to know. They they wanted they wanted to sort of see what you were experiencing, like how the country was reacting to you. Well, yeah, how the country was reacting to me, what it was like, because a lot of people were trying to play catch up. I had been doing Trump longer than anyone else. So I was in this great position. So as soon as somebody wanted me for a corporate event or uh, TBS wanted to do a bunch of digital shorts or um, I, this time last year I was shooting a web series, a 13-episode web series, I was in the perfect position. Uh-huh. I wasn't just picking the character up. I had done it for you know over twelve yes. years by that point. Yeah. So it yes. was just it was just a fascinating position to be in to be able to wow you know there's a as an actor you're told you always have to be prepared always have to be prepared always have to be prepared because you never mm-hmm. know when the opportunities come. This opportunity came and it was just absolutely yes. incredible. Yeah. Um, yes. You know. Well, well let's let we uh, we do need to take another break. But okay. um, when we come back, we will continue from there because now we're getting towards current day and where right. there's all this political unrest in the country, and that must be there interesting, is? too. <laughs> I'll tell you about it. My guest okay, is John me, D. Domenico. <laughs> um, we're talking about his, his journey um, from Pennsylvania to, uh, to Pennsylvania Avenue. How's that? That was good. I like the way you read that in. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. 
And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with my guest, John D. Domenico. Uh, We're talking about risky business, what it's like to be the number one Trump impersonator in the world today, and uh, John has been taking us up through his uh, original beginnings as Dr. Well, his own original beginnings as a person, and then as Donald Trump uh, starting in 2004. And uh, you know, I, I want you to tell people what you were just telling me before the break because that is so interesting about how it was like a real. It is like a reality show. Yeah. Well, what I, I noticed what he what he was applying to the campaign was the same way the Survivor, The Apprentice. He was applying reality show um, rules. Uh, he would focus in on one person and then pound away at that person for a one or two week period, and then that person would be out. And uh, he also made alliances because he, you'll notice he never picked on or never went after Chris Christie. Chris Christie was way too important, so he made an alliance with him. That was a bad alliance for Chris Christie, but it was a good alliance for Trump. So it was very interesting. And as I watched him do this, and he was knocking off a, you know, a, one person every two weeks, I thought, you know what? Like He's approaching this like a reality show, and he's in this to win this, and he is going to win. He's using a strategy that these guys don't even know exists. Mm-hmm. They're doing this as an irregular election. He's doing this as a game. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he learned it well, right? Hmm. Yeah, you know, no, he, he learned it very well from Mark Burnett. So, so he, you know, and it was just getting closer and closer, and it was it was very interesting. But it was um, around January of 2016. Um, it was one of the what happened. One of the very first times this came up, and it hasn't come up too much. It's been more recently. But I did an event um, in Orlando for a group. I won't say who the group was, but it was the first time. You know, when I sit down, I work with my agent, and we always go over the list of characters that I do. This group wanted a multiple character um, kind of menu because uh, by this time, by January of 2016, virtually all of the work was just Trump, but they wanted, like, it was multiple days, they wanted multiple characters, and one of the characters, obviously, that we pitched was Trump, and they said, mm, yeah, we're going to pass on him, he's a little controversial, mm. and I thought, I was like, I said, well, I really make him very warm and very funny, and he, you know, I've been doing this for a while, and I said, yeah, we're going to pass on that. And that was one of the first times I thought, you're going to miss out on an opportunity here because this guy's going to be president. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it, it, is, it, it is what it is. But then through all of 16, virtually all of my work was just 
Trump work. And then there were a lot of debates. I was doing debates with Hillary and with Bernie, or it was me and Hillary um, debating. Uh, you know, Sarah Palin hosted one, or this person. So, so now it was now it had changed uh, as it got as we got deeper into 2016, where people were seeing that he was most likely going to be the the candidate. And then once he was, then it went to the next level. And the events changed again, where it was just debates. And so you really, I mean, this wasn't just all fun and games. You really had to bone up on, um, on all the issues and, what, and Trump's opinions about all the issues, because you would never know what was going to come up in the debate. Well, uh, yeah, you, you never know. And also, I'm a writer, so I would write, I do 35 minutes. And if I'm doing a 35-minute bit, it better reflect what happened up to that day, because Everyone in that room knew mm-hmm. what what had gone on two hours before. I've even been in situations where I've been in my hotel room, written the script, printed it, headed down to the ballroom. I'm in full makeup, and someone says, "Did you know about X?" And I said, mm-hmm. "What?" Because mm-hmm. I'd been, I, you know, I turned everything off so I could write, and that something big had happened in the last two hours. So I'd have to, I'd have to build that in into the script. Uh huh. Uh huh. So what about, okay, so now kind of coming up to the present. I mean, I'm talking about, like, um, I mean, it's no secret that this country is uh, divided in half, more or less, and um, uh, or so the media tells us it's divided. I let's I, not say the percentages, because it's just like what you were talking about before, it could be a lot more people could really be for Trump than the media is presenting. It isn't necessarily half and half. But there right. is certainly a split. There is some... Um, contentiousness certainly, and um, well, so what? Splits how are you? You know, there's splits within each of the parties. So you, you know, we're 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 the single largest country in the world with only two parties. So we are. Mm-hmm. We've been trying to compress 390 million people into two parties for for over you know for the entire time we've been a country, but it's starting to fray, and this is what you're seeing internally within these within these different you know these different factions are gaining more momentum mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well i'm thinking about like you know what happened on the baseball field with steve scalise um somebody shooting uh republicans and you know it, it's gotten and and then we have um kathy griffin with the head i mean that was just so <laughs> it's beyond poor taste um, oh my god yeah that was like i you know what i said when i saw that i said what was the uh, what, what was the best possible scenario from that? Like, well, she was, was trying to get a lot of attention. In the best case, you know what I mean? Because you look at that and you think, like, that, this, 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 it's not funny, it's tasteless, it's, it's, there's just so many things that, that don't, it just, I was like, what the hell? Yeah, no. what was she thinking, right? right? I think what she was thinking was that she was feeling kind of desperate about her career and she wanted something that would get her a lot of attention, which this did, but not in the way she anticipated. Um, it was terrible. No, that's more like a career killer, you know. Yes. <laughs> um, so, so what kinds of things, you know, now that, now that the country is going towards some of these kinds of things, what, how is that affecting when you do performance, like live performances, what kinds of... Um, reactions are now creeping well, in. Uh, well, it, it's interesting. Um, I did a group that was um, 
pretty much pro-Trump, and I was, I was in there. But when I got into some of the more, not even like edgy material, you can, for the first time now, people are becoming hypersensitive. Mm-hmm. They're becoming really hypersensitive. So even doing, you know, I, my act has to be in, in such a way, if it's, if it's, you know, a pro-Trump group, that I have to really make it even lighter than it had been for a while because now everyone's got their back up. Uh-huh. Um, and it's, and it's very, and it's very, it, it, it's very tough because everyone feels very protective. The people who are pro-Trump feel very, very protective yes. of Trump. Um, and, and, you know, for me, if I'm doing a private group, I can talk to my client and we can assess the group uh, in, in a public forum. If it was a comedy club, you never, you have no idea what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. my, you know, years of doing comedy, I'm pretty good at getting, you know, taking the temperature of the room, you know, <laughs> checking the barometric pressure and figuring out where I'm at and how far I can go or how, you know, how nice I need to be or how edgy I can be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, I can certainly see that, um, how people would be more, more like things that would have been funny maybe um, a year ago or six months ago that now that he's being attacked on all sides, people are feeling very defensive that, you know, is is this really, should we really be laughing at this? I mean, but I think it's better to be laughing at some of the um, uh, lighter things than, uh, than having people who, you know, like a Kathy Griffin, do really crazy, um, right. and, and even yeah. um, Snoop Dogg. Do, do you know about the video that Snoop Dogg did where he, he the, played the, Trump? There's a clown dressed as Trump yes, or something, right. and he had a gun to his head, something like that, yeah. Yeah. So, so I mean, that all is pretty awful. Um, so, I, I mean, I, but I can certainly see how um, with the buildup of all the media, all the fake media, <laughs> um, that that people would be uh, more sensitive one way or the other. Well, yeah, and also just just on a basic human level, um, on both I hate to say both sides, just generally in our in our culture right now, it is just like a torrent of Trump stuff. It's on the news and it's yes. here and it's there. And if you turn on Colbert and Jimmy Kimmel and whoever, and, you yes. know, all the shows, it's every single night. It's Trump, Trump, Trump. All, you know, and part of that just because Trump puts himself out there every single day and says how he just thinks. The thing is, for me, um, as a comedian, it's what do you do um, within the context of this character uh, that's going to keep it funny and relevant without, like, you know, people having a meltdown now. Did you, you know? did you ever, um, were you ever in physical danger? Like, did anybody ever? Yeah. Um... Oh, absolutely. I, I won't even do a job now without um, bodyguards. Really? Oh, 100%. I will not be out in public without body. It's part of, like, the rider now. I had somebody try to choke me. I've had someone try to punch me in the face. I've had, and this is all post the election. On the run up to the election, it was fine. A couple days before, I was in New York. I did three big interviews in Times Square the Saturday before the election. That's when I noticed things were starting to change. Huh. Post the election, it's absolutely changed. And I'm shooting here in Las Vegas Thursday and Friday, and I have hired the, the crew. Um, the crew wanted me to give them the name of the my the 
people I wanted to hire as my bodyguards. So I'll have bodyguards. Wow. That's, uh... Because um, people on both sides are losing their sense of humor. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's absolutely true. Wow. Um, uh, It's funny that... has, Has any of this made the news? Any of, of what? Of, Any of, of these food? times when you've been attacked? Oh, no, because it's always impressive. The one guy who tried to choke me was in an elevator. The guy who tried to punch me was you know, on the street when we were um, shooting a news story, but they didn't want to put that out because that's not what the news story was about. They, you mm-hmm. Know. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I guess it certainly makes sense that you would need to do that. It's been a very, very interesting ride, I can tell you. <laughs> Really, really incredible. Well, I, I hope that, um, I would expect that at some point President Trump would contact you, and I don't know, well, I don't know wh- how you would feel about doing something on his behalf, but... Um, oh, I would, you know, I wouldn't mind. He, you know, he's, he's the president. Uh-huh. You know, I, I, think he's a, I think he's an absolutely fascinating guy. Um, I think out of everybody who's, who's doing it, I think I've been consistently um, <laughs> the, 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 the fairest and the most bad. Uh-huh. Yes, yes. And that's so important. <laughs> I mean, I did 40 appearances on Fox News, so I think I have my credentials. <laughs> Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, well, yeah, I would, I mean, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, if he calls you. Yeah, well, talking I about him calling you. he would have called me a lot. I mean, if, I think it would have been a lot a longer, much earlier on. Well, I, I'm, okay. Well, let, just let's, we, we kind of need to end the show, unfortunately. Oh, I could talk to you for a lot longer, but tell people where they can get a hold of you if they would like to have you either for, you know, if, uh, for television or radio or a live appearance or any, anything that they, where they need a Trump. <laughs> they can go to johnnyd.net, which is J-O-H-N-N-Y-D dot N-E-T. You can see all of my characters there, but you'll see Trump and you'll see clips from Conan and from Inside Edition and NBC and Fox News Red Eye and all those things. You can see all the different uh, Trumping I've done around the country and around the world. And uh, they, can book, they can just click on Book John today and it goes right to my agent and uh, I can I can perform I can perform anywhere absolutely anywhere it'll be tremendous believe me believe me <laughs> well I've watched you in in character as Trump and it is tremendous really funny really good and not nasty at all so thank you John D Domenico for um, being on the show and really sharing a very fascinating journey that you're having. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 